Hello and welcome to the Harrisonburg 360 podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Meeks. The Harrisonburg 360 podcast is an attempt to capture and record narratives of immigrants living in the Harrisonburg community. Using past and present voices of Harrisonburg immigrants, students in our JMU English class have collaborated to create a space focused on the importance of listening to each other's voices. Every person deserves a chance to share their story, and we, as a class, are privileged to share these stories with you in hopes of expanding perceptions of what it means to be an immigrant in Harrisonburg. Each week, Harrisonburg 360 is produced by a different team of students. This week's episode, Just Assimilate, was produced by Patrick Mullaney, Sarah Hahn, Hannah Meeks, and Amber Reed. And this week's episode, we'll jump into the story of Mikey Riesenberg and make connections to the previous stories of Tu Hyun and Nicole Chung. In an interview conducted in 1993, Teresa Staropoli interviewed Tu Hyun and her home in Harrisonburg. Tu is a Vietnamese immigrant who came to the United States in 1988 to flee from the poor economic state her country was in. Tu shares her experiences of moving to America and how she has adapted to life living here. She begins by explaining how she was able to immigrate to the U.S. So, your brother was here for how long? For eight years. Eight years. But now it's only 17. And so, your whole family is here now? Yeah. Do you still have family in Vietnam? Or Whole family came here. She continues by discussing her experience of discrimination. Do you ever um, do you ever feel that people are are uh, prejudiced against you, or do you ever feel any discrimination because you're you're Vietnamese? Yeah, I feel. Yeah. What, what yeah. kind of thing? What kind of thing? Mm. Some people don't like. I don't know, but I, I feel it. it I don't know, them, they don't want to talk or meet me. Yes, I feel in bed, you know, because they know. But in this era, they are it's very friendly. They are very friendly. It's not like big city. In the big city, they don't, if you ask them, they don't want to answer you because scared. That's why you don't know much people. You don't need to talk much to them. Some people is nice to you, some people don't. So people are, are pretty nice mm-hmm. for the most part here? Yeah. <laughs> how, how is it? Was it hard to get everyone? Yeah, it's very hard when this, um, we waited paper, you know, for seven years, for ten years. How, how come it took so long? How come it took seven years? Wait. Had to wait. Too many people come here to the United States. So it took seven years to get everyone's, or just seven years to get the first few people? Mm-hmm. Everyone. Every family. Wait, if you put the paper like you put 1980 for and 78, and they call you, you know, I don't know why. It's not the the economy is my country. It's very hard to get the people left the country. Two left Vietnam because of the declining economy and oppressive government. She explains that they arbitrarily seized property from her father's business, which made it difficult for her family to provide for themselves. 
These factors drove Tu to move to the United States. Why did you want to leave Vietnam? Why? Because um, the economy came to my country. Economy made the hard life for my family or the country. You know, everybody had to leave. Have to live in Vietnam to make the, to get out of Vietnam. Had to free, you know, um, have freedom. You know, because um, before we we had the business there, and they came and they they was they came to my house. They was to my family. How do you um? Well, they they take all the thing you know uh, from my house like um, something my father he sell it he sell the um, I don't know how you call it to um, screwdriver something screwdriver tools tools oh yeah mm-hmm. and they take they took all thing and they didn't pay much they don't they didn't pay the money and they just signed the paper. And they came to my house. They watched three months. They don't let my friend go out. Just stay there, and we can have a freedom, you know. Like they come, they came to my house and watch everybody. If you do everything they know and they talk to you, that's not right, right? And that's why we very sad. We had to left Vietnam, and we talk about Vietnam, and they make a paper sponsor. The family go to reunion and get out of Vietnam. Do you do you ever want to go back to Vietnam someday? Go back to visit. Not to live. Tu also shares about the lack of diversity she encountered in Harrisonburg. When she first moved here, there was not a lot of representation of other cultures. She often had to drive to Northern Virginia to get the ingredients she was looking for. What, what, how did it change? How did it get better? We go out to buy the food. You know, we try some money. Um, you see, once a month we go out to the North Virginia, you know, get a tiny school. And then come home every day, every night, every evening we have to cook meals. So you can't get any of the, you can't buy any of the food around here? Now they have one store. Before they don't have, you have to go up a lot. <laughs> Do they have, um, can you get pretty much everything that you want at the store that's around here? Or do you, you still have to go out? Mm-hmm. To they have some, but not much. Not enough. The interview with Tu Hune is a story of an immigrant finding their way in Harrisonburg, Virginia. She adjusts to her new surroundings and incorporates her Vietnamese culture into her new life. While Mikey is also an immigrant living in Harrisonburg, his story is very different from Tu's. He is an adopted immigrant who moved from South Korea when he was two years old. While conducting our interview with Mikey, he was on his way to forage for food in a national park to use in his restaurant. He had great success running a food truck and has now opened a restaurant in downtown Harrisonburg. His experience of running a successful Korean-inspired restaurant in Harrisonburg strongly contrasts Tu's experience with food availability. This is an interesting change over time that reflects the changing immigrant experience in Harrisonburg. Patrick Malini conducted an interview with Mikey Riesenberg on March 12, 2021. 
During the interview, they discussed the international adoption process, identity as an adopted immigrant, representation of Korean culture, Mikey's experience at a university, and how he reconnects with his culture. We begin with a discussion of how being adopted at such a young age made his transition to life in America easier. Did you have like any like biological siblings that um you know like you that you know of? No, I do not know any of uh, my biological family. And um, in my personal opinion, being adopted at such a young age, I was adopted into a household that loves me, that cares about who I am, and raised me as their son. Um, so my family, my adopted family, or, or adoptive family, is the uh, is mom and dad to me. My mother's biological daughter is uh, also my sister, and um, that we don't share any kind of blood re- relation. We are definitely a close knit family. Okay, um, right. So, uh, what are your thoughts about like sort of like um, right in international adoption? Right, this uh, right American family, you know, like chose you know sort of you. Like what? Like what are your thoughts on that? I love it. I respect anyone and everyone who chooses to adopt uh, children for their own family, um, whether it's domestic or international. I respect both of those uh, lines of thinking equally. Um, the reason for it is because in my own life and in my own experiences, I always wonder about the what ifs. You know, what if I wasn't adopted by this family that loves me and cares for me and has supported me throughout all 35 years of my life? And where could I be if um, I was still born but was never adopted and was left to be raised by the state in Korea and uh, to go without that kind of support structure? And I think that there are a lot of families out there that have their own reasonings and concerns for having their own biological children. And I think adoption is a very viable and very respectable way of creating your own family while also benefiting society. Um, Diversified family groups are the ones that you can see and feel the love the absolute most because I believe that they are the ones that truly care about the children and uh, the children do truly care about their families and their parents that are the adoptive parents. Um, because it's it's one of those things that love is not necessarily obligatory, even though um, it feels that way. I think that uh, love takes work, and I think that it's uh, something that everyone needs to work on, even in a parent and uh, a child kind of relationship. And... In my experience, I feel as though my family has been flush with love and support. And, um, those are the, those are just my feelings anecdotally. Um, but I know that I've run into a bunch of adoptees that also speak very much the same way as I do, where their biological family, they have questions about and interest about, but at the same time, they know that their family, their mom, their dad, their uh, brothers or their sisters are always the family that they go home to, uh, that they eat dinner with, that supports them, that hugs and kisses them at the end of the evening. And I think that that's a really important thing that uh, American society should further embrace is the idea that adoptions, whether domestic or international, are a positive thing for everybody. Later in the interview, Mikey continues with how being an adopted immigrant has shaped his identity. Just sort of like curious on like your thoughts on this. Like, do you do you yourself consider uh, yourself to be an immigrant? Um, in my everyday life, I would say no. 
but at the same time, the aspects of being someone who um, is associated with a different cultural identity, uh, you still experience the kind of social tugs and pulls that put assumptions onto you based upon how you look. And, um, you know, I'm still treated like an immigrant by some different groups of people that wouldn't know me. Um, but I don't think that it's something that I recognize in myself necessarily. Um, I think it's more that my experience is more colored by feeling as though I am 100% American, but knowing that I look a completely different way and that I was born in a completely different area. And the struggles have been more for finding balance within myself as to who I assume I am as my cultural identity um, in relation to the identity that is imposed upon me by those who are not as well first in cultural identities or um, notions of adoption and being from someplace else, but still having an idea that you are an American and that you have assimilated and become part of uh, this society and this culture. In his adult life, Mikey has worked to establish a Korean restaurant in Harrisonburg, Virginia. He discusses how he's able to represent his Korean identity through the food he serves. Do you feel in like some way that you're like a representative of, you know, the Korean community when you uh, serve your food, you know, your restaurants, um, you know, Korean inspired? Yes. Um, I know that there's a lot of arguments out there these days about how an individual should not be taken as the ambassador or representative of the demographic. But I disagree. Um, everyone's judgments and mentalities are based upon their own experiences. Um, you know, it's just the same way as I have some kind of responsibility to represent my culture and my identity correctly and accurately. Um, you all do the same thing every day. And, um, I think we all do, you know, it's not that we take on the brunt of the responsibility because that's unfair. There's no way that someone like me can be as educated in uh, the Korean culture, having been raised by people who are not Korean and being in a society and a culture that is not Korean. Um, but at the same time, I have the ability of making people feel more or less comfortable as an example. Right. So you were talking about. Um... Yeah. Being a represent, <laughs> yeah. Uh, representative, essentially, of uh, your demographic and. Um, I'll use the example of when I visited England for my cousin's wedding. Um, this was right after or shortly after the 9-11 attacks, and there were a higher degree, higher level of uh, uncertainty and mistrust, distrust of uh, the Middle Eastern peoples, especially in England for some reason. Um, but my American family as tourists were treated much, much differently in England and in Europe because of the notion that we are arrogant and that we are not polite and that we were se severely individual. Um, and it was kind of nice in different experiences when we would go into shops or go uh, on tours or whatever it may be and have the people that were serving us essentially comment on how we're much different than what they thought us Americans would be like. 
And um, I think that's a good example or a good parallel to say that everyone has preconceived notions of what another demographic is like. And whether you like it or not, those judgments are influenced based upon how we behave as individuals um, and influence their perception of the full demographic, whether we like it or not. Mikey attended James Madison University, where he studied history. He discusses how he fit into the student population during his time there. Right. As an Asian American, right, uh, did you feel like you fitted into the student population at JMU? Yeah, I think uh, for the most part. But, you know, the other thing is is that I'm a local. And um, when you're a local, you can tell, I think, when people come in from out uh, out of the state or out of the area. And uh, there's always been a little bit of that weird tension between locals and out-of-towners. It never created any problems for me by any means. Um, But I did run into some of the assumptions about who I was and where I came from based upon how I looked at JMU. It wasn't in a negative fashion. It was more from just an assumption point of view where most everyone else that you run into is from the same areas. Uh, Northern Virginia, for example, Maryland, wherever. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people thought that I was from those areas and that I was a student, um, you know, that made the move down here to attend college and would go home during the summers and all of that kind of stuff. After graduating from JMU, Mikey looked for a way to visit South Korea, but was unsuccessful in finding a way to go back. Mikey shares how this rejection made him feel. You're some from uh, Seoul, South Korea. Have you actually gone back to sort of visit uh, Korea? No. No, I haven't. Uh, Actually, after college, a friend of mine and I were trying to uh, get a position teaching English as a second language in uh, Korea somewhere uh, as an opportunity to go back home and learn the culture and experience it a bit. Uh, But unfortunately, the ESL programs accepted a friend of mine and said that I was too Korean and that they were looking for uh, Americans with 100% 100% American accents uh, in order to teach the uh, language to their students. So that was kind of a whiff on the attempt to go back to Korea for a visit. Yeah, uh, how did that make you feel that you were uh, sort of rejected? I mean, it's kind of a slap in the face. It feels uh, kind of strange because if anyone has a chance to speak with me, you can tell that I have been raised in America and that I sound like an American, um, so I thought that the basis of their rejection was a bit off. But, you know, at the same time, I understand in some ways that they wanted to really push the American immersion aspect of their ESL courses. Um, they wanted to give people the experience of speaking with someone who is from a different place, looks different from you, and sounds different from you. And um, I guess I see their line of thinking. I'm uh, upset still that I didn't have the opportunity to go back to Korea, visit, and experience the culture firsthand. But, uh, you know, life is uh, short, but at the same time, you it is what you make it. So hopefully before we get too old, my wife and I will have a chance to get back there and experience it as tourists more. In light of the coronavirus pandemic, tensions have risen regarding many Asian Americans living in the U.S. Mikey reflects on his experiences over the past year. This is kind of like a sensitive question, so feel free if you don't want to answer it. But um, have you faced more, you know, sort of racism and discrimination for being an Asian American during this uh, coronavirus pandemic? I'm lucky. 
Uh, I'd say that no, I personally have not, but I do know that there are some of my uh, Asian friends that have definitely run into more of that than I have. Um, the nice part about Harrisonburg is that we are insulated from a lot of the things that happen on a national and on a global level. And fashion trends come here later. They leave later. Uh, food trends come here later and they leave later. Um, different elements of political issues, uh, hit us differently, whether it's later or not to the same degree, or it's focused in like the rural communities. Um, I'm not going to say that there's no racism here. That's not true. That's, uh, it's just a distorted thing because there's so many progressive minded and open minded, kind, good individuals in this area. Um, but there's also a bunch of people that are very rural and, uh, have never had the experience of getting to know someone like me or anyone else. And, uh, it gets to be so that they still have reservations about people that look and sound different than them. Um, again, I'm blessed to be an American, uh, sound like an American, to feel and act like an American. And it gives us uh, an advantage over some of the people that I know because I know that, for instance, I like to give credit to the Spanish food trucks and the uh, anyone else that's been doing food service other than us that just is not able to explain what they do and to discuss their passion for the industry the same way that I can because of language barriers. And I think that those people deserve as much credit as anyone else because they're out there living the same lifestyle as us every day. And oftentimes they're cooking just as good, if not better food than the people that get all of the press. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing being an American, but looking different than everyone else, but sounding like everyone else as well. Um, it prevent, it provides advantages and disadvantages depending on who you're speaking with. I actually run into more issues with Korean Americans uh, that speak the language and are fully immersed in the Korean culture than with anyone else personally. Now that we have talked about Mikey's story, we are going to jump into some other connections that can be made with other stories. The first article is Nicole Chung's piece titled, Just Assimilate Her Into Your Family and Everything Will Be Fine. One notable quote from this piece was, Often, when I meet fellow transracial adoptees, we find we can share like experiences. My parents and I almost never talked about race. We didn't really acknowledge that it mattered. I never called anyone in my family out about their racism. This relates to Mikey's experience because he stated that he doesn't identify himself like other immigrants and feels that he doesn't fit into this community. Rather, he fits into the community that he has formed for himself. Both Mikey and Chu noted that they would like to travel back to their birth countries. They both expressed how neither of them have family members there anymore, but they are interested in their culture and hope to gain insight from making a trip. Another connection is found in terms of culture and inclusivity. Mikey discusses how his culture is represented through his restaurant. Both Mikey and Tu discuss how much Harrisonburg has diversified since they have been here. This is due in large part to Harrisonburg being a refugee resettlement center. Additionally, Mikey and Chung are both of Korean descent and were adopted into families in the United States. While Mikey provided a lot of context into how he viewed his family, with positivity and gratitude, Chung's view was not quite as optimistic. A quote that demonstrates this is, No one ever so much as hinted to my parents that adopting across racial and cultural lines might prove a unique challenge. 
when they needed to prepare for specifically. If they did take a colorblind view of our family from its very formation, if they believed my Koreanness was irrelevant within our family and should be so to everyone else as well, and this they were largely following ideals they were raised with. Chung also said, many years later, the parents and grandmother would laugh over how one of her cousins managed to reach the age of 12 without realizing the girl wasn't born into their family. As far as most of the relatives were concerned, the adoption might as well have leached the melanin from the child's skin and hair, rounded the corners of her eyes, erased her family tree entirely. Those papers made her one of them, no matter where or whom she'd come from. This quote from Chung's piece is interesting to note because it shows how someone can be completely assimilated into a new culture and reflects Mikey's experience of being adopted at a young age. The title of Mikey's restaurant, Mishida, is an informal way of complimenting food as delicious in Korean. By titling his restaurant this, Mikey ties his roots in Korean culture into his business in Harrisonburg. It also highlights the type of atmosphere he creates in his restaurant as a welcoming and comforting place. This connects to the changes that have occurred in Harrisonburg and the diversification that has taken place since Tu first moved here. After listening to these two different interviews, both Tu and Mikey want to visit their mother countries to reconnect, both want to be accepted in America, and both have identity as an American. Mikey has spent the majority of his life living in America. He talks, sounds, and feels proud to be an American. He challenges the typical notion of what we picture an immigrant to look like based on the way he speaks. It contrasts existing stereotypes surrounding the way an Asian American is supposed to sound. If we didn't tell you that Mikey was born in Korea, would you be able to tell what he looks like by his voice alone? Thank you for joining us today on Harrisonburg 360. We're grateful to Kate Morris, Bodine Amio, Sarah Rothmullet, Kirsten Lloydinia, Dr. Fagan, Tu Hyun, and Mikey Riesenberg for helping make this episode possible. Our host today was Hannah Meeks. Interview with Mikey Riesenberg was conducted by Patrick Milani. Our research and content producer was Amber Reed, and our audio producer was Sarah Hahn. Join us next time for another episode of Harrisonburg 360. Harrisonburg 360. Real people, real stories, one community.